the economic situation that we're in is, is not a great one. And uh, we have two candidates for the uh, leadership of the Conservative Party. Both uh, seem to have ideas and plans in how to solve the problems that are in this world, in our country. And uh, they're trying to explain what their, their plans are. And when they do, uh, the politicians come up and say, well, really, that plan isn't very good. And then they pick holes in it. And then they change their plan. And then they have another plan. Now, uh, when I was younger, there's a, a wonderful TV series for historians called Black Adder. And in that, there was a, a man who always had a cunning plan, Baldrick. He had a cunning plan. And his plans were so cunning that you could label them cunning and send them to the University of Cunning. And they'd be amazingly cunning plans. But they were all made up and they never seemed to come to a fruition. Now, we have in the book of Ezekiel a, a situation when the people of God are facing great uh, sadness and despair and discouragement. Uh, the people have gone into captivity. The kingdom has been split in half. Assyria has taken over. And most of the south of Israel are not in captivity. They've been scattered to the four winds. They seem to be lost. The people of God ha have been scattered. The north is in captivity, but the south, nobody knows where they are. The kingdom has been lost. And then God sends the prophet Ezekiel. And he does many strange things in front of the people. And then he comes to this section here to encourage the people. He comes to encourage the people of God that are in captivity. They're in the position they're in because they've sinned. They've done things that they ought not to have done. They lived like the nations that God had cast out. And so God cast them out as well. God punished them. But God now comes to them and speaks to them. And he says that he has a plan. A plan for his people. And we see that in chapter 36 verse 22 to the end of that section. And scaringly for you, the plan continues into chapter 37. So this evening, the sermon will be chapter 36, verse 22 to 38, and chapter 37. God's plan. The first section, which we get from verse 22 to 38, is the plan of God. It's God's plan. And we can be assured or reassured when we find out that God has got a plan. It's not a plan B, it's a plan A. We don't have the Old Testament, and then the New Testament is God's correction. God's plan B of salvation. God never had a plan B. He always had a plan A. He had a plan from before the foundations of the earth. And here... He explains that plan to his people. Before this time, the plan wasn't clear. There were, there were inklings, there were suggestions of the plan. But here he, he explains it clearly. The, the Old Testament has the New Testament in it. But we can't always see it clearly. It's sort of like a, a darkened room. You go into a room and it's pitch black. 
and then you have one of these wonderful lights, dimmer lights, and you turn it up a little bit, and you can see outlines of things that are there, but you can't see them in perfect uh, sight or perfect detail. And then you turn the dimmer switch up a little bit more, and you can see more, and then you turn it on more, and you get more light until you turn the light on full and you can see everything in the room clearly. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is revealing himself gradually and showing things that are there. And here we have God revealing. And those of you who are Christians will know what's going on when I explain it. Those people at the time weren't quite sure because it's the first time God had revealed his will, his plan to the people. So, first of all, the plan. Whenever you have a plan, you need to know why. Why is there a plan? What is the motive of the person who plans it? Why is he doing this? Why does God save? Why has God saved you if you're a Christian? Why has God saved me? Why does God save anyone it's here in the plan and we find it verses 21 22 to 23 verse 21 but i had concern for my holy name which the house of israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went therefore say to the house of israel thus says the lord god i do not do this for your sake o house of israel but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations. And then at the end, when he completes the section to talk about his plan there, he says, not for your sake, verse 32, do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Why has God got a plan? Why did God send the Lord Jesus Christ into the world? Why did the Son of God leave his heavenly throne above and ally himself with us? Why was there this great mystery of godliness where the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us? Why? Not for our sake. Not for our sake do I do this, but say, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. I will sanctify my great name. God does everything for his own glory. God is a, a God of glory and wonder. He does it for himself. He does it because it was pleasing in his sight. He does it for himself. Why does he save anyone? Why does he promise that he will keep the people he has saved forever? Because he has chosen to. He is not a man that he would change his mind or a son of man that he would lie. He is God. He is God, the Almighty, the King of creation. He has made all things, and he has made all things for himself. He makes us for himself, and he chooses to save a people. He chooses to come into this world to save. Why? Not for our sake, but for his own holy name's sake amongst 
the nation. Why does God save? The bottom line is because God has chosen to. It's God who has done these things. It's all to do with him. Why is he a plan? It's not because he's lonely. It's not because he was bored one Saturday afternoon. Uh, there was no Saturday afternoon before the world was. It, he decided. He decided it was good. And he commanded. Because he is God. Why do we have a hope? Why can we have a hope that those that we know and love who aren't Christians can be saved? We can have this hope because God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous and upright. And God has a plan. And God does it not because of them. Notice he says it constantly. Therefore say to the house, I do not do this for your sake. Why? Because it says in verse 32, because of your sake, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways. If it was because of us, then no one would ever be saved. Because there's nothing good in us. Nothing good. No good thought. No good action. No good motive. Everything we do is full of self and pride and our own sin. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, go to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Save me, hear me, Saviour, or I die. Our great hope is that it is God who brings in a plan. And this plan is in God. It is hidden in him. That is our great hope. The motive of the plan is God. And God doesn't change his mind like us. One moment he's good, next moment he's down. One moment he's happy, the next moment he's sad. God is God. He is infinite, eternal, unchanging in his being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. He is God. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you are not consumed. O sons of Jacob, our great hope is in the plan of God. And this plan comes from a God who does not change and is holy. The motive. But then he goes on in, in more detail. He, he tells us, apart from the motive, he tells us what the plan involves. Now, the plan involves three R's. R's are quite good if you're a preacher. R and P are the, the, the words you go for. To, to make things link. So I've got R's here. Now, the, the three R's that he talks about, we find it in, uh, in the verses 24 uh, to 27. The first R, 24 to 27, is regeneration. This is how he brings his plan into operation. Verse 24 to 27, regeneration. Verse 28, he brings it in, relationships. And then verse 29, then through to verse 31, he brings in reunion. Those are the three things involved in the plan. Regeneration, relationships, and reunion. Regeneration. What is this? What does it mean? Well, if you go into an area that is run down. Now, by run down, I mean you go into an area and there are stones here and some stones there. 
you know, if, if you go to look at Cardiff Castle, it's quite, quite impressive. If you go to see Swansea Castle, it needs regeneration. There's just a bit of a wall there. Regeneration from nothing. And what do we have here? This is um, uh, 22, uh, 24 to 27. Listen to the regeneration. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will know my judgments. You will keep my judgments and do them. That's regeneration. People who are not a people. People who are lost. People who are far off. God brings near. People who are dead, he makes them alive. People who are not a people, he makes their people. People who had no hearts, he gives them hearts of flesh. People who had no desire for God, he puts his spirit within them. And we walk. We walk in his statutes and we keep his judgments. Regeneration. That's God's plan. What is God's plan for salvation? His plan for salvation is that people will be changed radically. A, a massive regeneration. The old is gone, the new has come. Those who were once dead in their trespasses and sins are now made alive. Those who are blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can run. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is completely new. Completely changed and brought about out of the ruins. Brings forth not a phoenix, but a people. Regeneration. That is God's plan. God's plan is that he has a church. He has a group of people that he has called out from all the nations. That he has brought back from captivity. And he has made them his own. That's regeneration. That's his plan. Verses 24 to 27. But then verse 28. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you, gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Relationship. The people who once walked in darkness. The people who once enemies, strangers and aliens to God. And now... God's people, you, you, you will be my people and I will be your God. Now there will be a unity between the people and God. They will be those who walk in the image of God. They are God's children. They're walking and they are little God people because they are God's people. They, they show their father. How? Because God's spirit is in them. They walk according to his statutes. They fulfill his commands. They are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. They are a changed group. God doesn't just change and regenerate, but he unites and he draws in and he creates a family. Remember the prayer. Remember the prayer of Jesus as he enters the courts of thanksgiving with his father. Here I am, he says, and the children you have given me as it is written in the book. God's son. 
is our father. Because we have been born again because of his blood. For remember, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How is he Everlasting Father? Because he's not the Father. He is the Son. He is our Everlasting Father, because we have been born again because of his precious blood. There is this union, a, a, a reunion, a, a relationship. And then we have the reunion. Verses 29 on. The reunion. Verse 29 to 31. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring it and bring no famine to you. I will multiply the, the fruit of the trees and increase your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine. Then you, you all will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you all will loathe yourselves in your sight for your iniquities and your abominations. You see, you all, all, all God's people, he will call the south who are scattered, who are lost amongst the nations, they will come in. And the north who are in captivity, they will come in. There will be a reunion. All of God's people will be brought together. You see, this is, this is a picture. When God prophesies in the Old Testament... So often he is talking about what's happening to the people of God, the, the physical Israel. That they will come out of captivity and they will go back into Jerusalem and the kingdom shall be restored and there will be a new temple. And that's what he's talking about. That you will come back after 70 years, the captivity shall end. But he's talking something bigger, something greater. He's talking about the last day. The last day when every tomb shall be emptied. Every grave shall give forth its dead. The sea will give up its dead. The earth will give up its dead. The molecules of people who have been cremated, that have been scattered by the winds, they shall be reunited. The sea, the dead shall walk out of the sea. And all living, great and small, rich and poor, however old, however young, shall rise up. And the people of God, the people of God who are still alive on that day will rise up to meet the saints in the air. And not one, one seat will be empty. Not one place will be missing because every single one that Christ has saved will be there. My people. There will be a reunion of all the people of God on that day. It's God's plan. And then he, he goes on. He goes on and he says, now, there are results of the plan. What are the, the temporary results? What are the results that, that happen because of this plan, this, this long-term and short-term plan? What is it? Well, verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all those who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. There is cleanliness. There is a change. There is an alteration in life. 
the people will be changed and the things that we touch will also be changed. Your houses. Your houses will be sanctified by your presence. You will go into a house and the peace that belongs on that house comes from you. And your family that come into that house will know that there's a Christian there. And you will bless them because you're a Christian. And they will know that there's a difference between your house and another house. In the day that he has cleansed you from your iniquities, there will be a change. There will be a change in you. There will be a witness to others. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. They will look and they will startle. They will be surprised at you. They will wonder what has come over this person. Why are they different? Why are they so, so alive? Why are they so certain? Why are they so at ease with themselves? Why are they no longer so discouraged? Why are they no longer so caught up in the world? Why are they different? I, the Lord, have done this. There will be a witness. And wherever you go, from the east to the west, people will know. And they will say to you, who is your God? Why are you like this? There will be opportunities for witness. And where do we come in? <laughs> at the end of this, where God has described his plan to us, he comes at the end of the chapter and he says, Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. He says to us, as we're being brought in, you will inquire for more. You will ask for conversions. You will ask for more people to come in. You will pray for the lost. I will be inquired of by you. My plan is coming to fruition and you will be praying for it. There's, there's, this, there's this terrible thing in, in the mind of so many Christians. God's sovereignty. Nothing happens but God has decreed it and man is responsible. How can we ever? And they go mad. No. Spurgeon said, they are friends. We don't need to reconcile two friends. They go together. They're like a train track. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God's plan to save, our responsibility to pray for the lost and to weep for them and to live in front of them. And we go forward together. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on the feast day, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord will do this. And we're to pray. The whole world will be transformed because God has ordained it. There will be a day when Righteousness shall cover the earth like a blanket and there shall be no more sin and sin will be removed and there will be purity and righteousness and the righteous shall shine like the firmament. The Lord shall do this and we are called to pray, to pray in. I can't witness, pray. I can't speak, pray. You can speak to your father. You can stammer to him. And when you can't, you can just close your eyes and say, Lord, I can't speak, but you know my heart. You know who I long for. You can pray. 
The plan of God. But then, you see, we have chapter 37. Chapter 37 expands what goes on and the plan. How does God go about this? How does he bring these things in? Well, we have verses 1 to 14, the regeneration. Then we have who? Well, first of all, the regeneration. What is the regeneration? I I talked a, a bit about stones and things like that, but obviously the regeneration isn't about stones and buildings because we are living stones. And so what is the regeneration? What is it that God builds? Does does he take a human being and change a human being? Well, let's see what it says. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Now, Ezekiel is telling us this is a vision. This isn't real. This is what I've seen. This is what is happening spiritually to people. This is what people are like spiritually. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, that means look, look, understand, have a look to see what you see, what's around you and behold, they were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. They weren't soft, they weren't just dead, they were dead. They were brittle. You know, you press a bone and it crumbles. These were very, very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice what he's doing. He's telling Ezekiel to speak, prophesy, say my words. To the bones, preach, say my words. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, the regeneration, these bones, if you could picture it, this huge valley, full of bones, dead, old, brittle, and yet Ezekiel preaches, and the bones have flesh and sinew and muscles covering them, and then covering them, a skin, and then the bones are knit together, and the bones start standing up, and a body is formed, and a human person appears, and he preaches, and it changes, and a heart starts pumping, And lungs start working, and arms start moving, and eyes open, and ears are unstopped, and people can speak. And what do they do? Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Those bones, those bones know that God is the Lord because they've been saved. It's a picture, isn't it? It's a spiritual picture of what we do, of when we witness. We don't know what part of the valley we're in. We don't know how far down the road the person we're speaking to is. Is this person a a dry bone? Or has this person got a bit of sinew on? A bit of skin? A bit of flesh? Has has God started breathing and, and working on them? Dr. Lloyd-Jones was at a a minister's conference 
and, and he was speaking. Uh, and and they, were, they were talking and discussing things. And they were talking about the conversion of, of Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. And one of the, the ministers said, yes, yes, uh, but on the road to Damascus, when he was there, he, um, he was breathing a bit, re- referring to this. There was a bit of life and he was breathing. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones turned to me and said, yes, he was breathing out curses and hatred. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, human. For anyone to be saved, God has to breathe. God has to breathe his Holy Spirit. God's Spirit goes wherever he wants. And he goes with the word. Prophesy. And the Spirit goes also. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. And there was no breath. There was no breath in them yet. Then he said to me, prophesy to them breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the four winds o breath and breathe on those slain that they may live breathe on me breath of god so i prophesied as he commanded and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army ready to serve god to march for god to serve him and to live for him and to know him. That's the regeneration. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened the graves, your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, I the Lord have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Forward wind to the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus speaks to the sister. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Oh, I believe there will be a resurrection on the last day. That's what she's thinking about. This is the resurrection on the last day. That's what she, she doesn't realize that this is talking about regeneration. And what God is doing every day to people across the world. Bringing the dead to life. She doesn't realize that. And so Jesus goes and speaks to Lazarus. And those dead bones lived. He was showing that he is the Lord. From Ezekiel chapter 37. And from that time on, that time on, that was the final sign of the Messiah. And the Pharisees and scribes had enough. They planned, they've got to kill him. They can't allow him to live. It is too obvious who he is. He is the Messiah. You see, the regeneration. But who is it that is saved? Well, we see here that it is Israel. He keeps saying, doesn't he? He, he says there, verse 11. Uh, um, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're, they're the whole house of Israel. So he's talking physically of the whole house of Israel that will come back one day. 
But you see, he's talking spiritually of those who are Israel, are those who are circumcised in the heart. Those are the true Israel. The true Israel are spiritual. Every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is a true Israelite. Is a, a true son and daughter of God, his people. And here, here we have that promise that the Lord has spoken and will perform it. All God's people shall be brought in. So we're to pray. We're to pray for those people who have hard hearts. We're to pray for those people who don't seem to be interested. Why? Because God can put flesh on bones. He can make the dead live. Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb. The sign. The sign that he was the Messiah. But not only have we got a who, but we have a method. The method I've gone through. But I'll say it again because people need to hear it. We are not converted without the word of God. We are born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. But it is the word of God with the Holy Spirit. The word and the spirit go together. He preaches and the wind comes. The spirit comes. The word alone can do nothing. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for God's Spirit to move, not just move, but to move where the Word is. We can't expect people to be converted if they've never heard. We're to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth, and He will bless His Word. My Word will not go out void. It will achieve that which I have ordained. That's what He's promised. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes splitting things. It can go into the heart. It can change. There's a, there's a, a great Puritan preacher. Now, as soon as you think of Puritans, you think of the 17th century. And you're right. And his name was John Flavel. And he preached. And he's got six volumes that are printed by the Banner of Truth Trust, if you're interested. And you, you can get them online. You can just type in John Flavel, PDF free, and they've been scanned in. You can read them free online. And he was a great preacher. And there was a man called John Small. And he was converted. And he was converted by John Flavel. And he was converted in about 1779. John Flavel died in about 1690. How on earth could John Flavel have been the means of converting this man? Well, this man was a youngster once. And as a lad of 12 or 13, he went to hear John Flavel preach one of his last sermons in Dartmouth. And John Flavel, at the end of the sermon, when he was to pray the benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, he stopped. He said, I cannot pray these words because there are some of you that are living in sin and will not desist. And you cannot have the love of God where there is sin. You must turn from your sins or you will perish. And he ended the sermon. This little boy remembered it. Eighty odd years later. He was in his late 90s. He was up a hill waiting for his friends in America, because he'd gone to America, to come and pick apples from an orchard. 
And they went up there. And when they came and they found John, he was a new man. Because God had reminded him of the words of John Flavor. And he knew that he couldn't be saved unless he asked for forgiveness from Jesus Christ. The word and the spirit. We do not know when the spirit will apply the word. But we give out the word knowing that he is a great God. And he can change hearts in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, whenever he desires it. It is God that does these things. The, the method, the word and the spirit. And then we see, uh, uh, we've seen the, the regeneration, then we see the, the reunion. The reunion we have here, uh, it's, it's further on, verses 13 and, and 14 going on. What does he say? He talks about the reunion. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people and brought you out from your graves. I will put my spirit in you. You shall live. I will place in you, in your land. Then you will know. They're all together. There is a reunion. There is a bringing together. And then Ezekiel does one of these funny things that God tells him. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 16, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it, for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. You see, the two tribes, the ones that are lost and the ones in captivity, write their names on a stick. That's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. Then join them to one another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hands. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by this? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join with it the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be with one in my hand. And the stick in which you write will be in your hand before their eyes." Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be their king over them. All they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided. You see, there's the unity, there is the reunion. How is that us? You meet a Christian. Never met them before. You start speaking. You find out they're believers. And before three, four minutes have gone, it's, it's like you've known them forever. And people come up to you and you talk and you bring them in. And you say, this is so and so. They're a believer as well. And you talk and, and there's a unity. There is a reunion. There's, there's a, a, a union that, that you cannot explain. And, and people come out that aren't Christians and they talk to you and say, how long have you known that? I've just met him. And they think, what? And then they go to churches and then the churches are made of rich and poor and, and wise and not so wise and old and young. And yet there's a unity. You, you get on with each other. You, you don't treat one in a different way in, in, with, with regret or anger or hatred. You, you don't treat anyone like... You, your brothers, your sisters, you, you treat them as parents, as mothers, as cousins. You treat them, there's a unity amongst all. Why? Because as God has said, the sticks are joined. It would be one kingdom, 
one king, one family under God. The reunion, that's God's plan. And he, he says that's what's happening. And then he, he finishes off. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. The true reunion. The reunion that brings us all together. Why are we knit together as people? Because we are one with God. He is our father and we are his children and we love the brethren because we draw from him the true vine. We are his. You see, that's, that's how God does it. And then finally, very quickly, we have the relationship. David, then they shall be my people and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd you know who he's talking about. They shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwell. And they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and tabernacled amongst us he pitched his tent amongst us and he has been joined to us forever flesh of our flesh bone of our bone in heaven there is a man the man Christ Jesus God and man united in one person undivisible one person Overall, the saviour of all who come to him. The union. That which was sinful can be made right with God. Why? Because of God's plan. He does this for himself. For his own glory. To bring glory and the nations shall know. And he changes people from the inside out. Regeneration. He reunites us, one with another and with himself. And he gives us his son. There is a reunion, a relationship that can never be broken. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My father who is greater than me. Why? Because he sent the son. And the son was obedient in this world to fulfill the commandments. My father who is greater than I has them in my hand. I and my father are one. Can anyone separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Height, depth, nakedness, war, ourselves. I am persuaded 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The shepherd rules the sheep. And it is God's plan. We have a foundation that is steadfast and sure. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer.